This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to Hello and welcome to Colloquium. How's it going, Nick? It's going well, Dylan. How are you doing? I'm doing well and I'm excited because we have the first ever woman oh guest on the podcast oh of colloquium glad you said so i almost forgot she was here there you are yeah, and it's not nick it's oh <laughs> okay <laughs> yes that's right we have with us the one the only emily thomason so emily thanks for being with us absolutely i'm so happy to be here but aren't i just like your second guest anyway second guest but first, first lady. female guest first right? lady so gotcha. we've had a female guest on this podcast before we've had a female president that's that's saying something, I think. Yeah, <laughs> privileged over here. <laughs> no, but Emily, you're here um, for a number of reasons. One, because you're our friend, um, yeah. and we enjoy talking to you. In fact, we were having a great conversation with you just the other night. Um, but also here to provide a feminine perspective on a topic that I think you kind of need a feminine <laughs> perspective on, considering the topic is femininity. Yeah, so, a little bit. Yeah, we want to uh, continue our conversation on femininity, uh, but I kind of want to start by, well, let's first introduce you um, so that everybody knows who you are, but then we'll, we'll get into, uh, kind of have you respond a little bit to, to what you heard on our, our previous episode. Um, but Emily, so Emily, why don't, I guess I'll just let you introduce yourself oh, a little bit. Yeah. Well, my name is Emily. Um, I am a real life lady, as Nick and Dylan have promised yes, the, on- The promised the real <laughs> woman. Um, and I actually, uh, I teach at the same high school as Dylan. I teach art there. Um, I grew up Catholic, uh, did the whole thing where I left for and stopped practicing for a couple of years, but came back. And, um, that's when I really started learning about the church and learning more about the, like kind of the role of women and what femininity really is. Um, yeah, I've been living in Huntsville for almost a year now, just, yeah. just under a year. So. Yeah, and we're glad to have you. And and one of the coolest things about Emily is that she's a real woman, but she's also a real artist. Um, Oh, gosh. And is, I I don't know, can we talk about your project or no? Wait, I have to say something first. Uh, Emily has been showing me all kinds of pictures of her project that I was going to reveal, but I guess since you asked her, I'll let her reveal what she's working on over the next three summers. So here you go. Um, so somehow uh, in my life and meeting all of the people and all of the places that I've lived, um, I am starting a project, hopefully this summer, where I'm painting a church uh, for wow. my <laughs> priest friend that is in Ohio. Um, so I'm hoping to start this summer. So like painting walls, but also painting murals and um, a lot of different things all kind of and like it's incredible like we've seen <laughs> we've seen the the models and it's yeah. it's gonna be something it's i, it's, I feel so. like we are friends with a real life michelangelo oh, gosh. in the 21st century Stop. so that's great <laughs> um, but it it as great as it would be to talk about art with emily that's actually not another, what we're another here to talk episode about. yeah <laughs> another episode uh, we're here to talk about femininity so emily i want to get your thoughts a little bit on i know you listened to mm-hmm. our episode and, and we've actually had some conversations about this as well um, but I just want to kind of hear you react a little bit. What do you think? You know, we, we, um, kind of, we were trying to figure out what's that warrior poet tension. That's the warrior poet is like the masculine tension right. between being both a warrior and a poet. Right. Um, and so we're trying to figure out what's the, the feminine version of that. And I think, I think Nick had a, an astute insight that 
it has something it's it's something very similar in the sense that there's a there's an impulse in humanity towards like going out on adventure but also towards staying in and cultivating community and nurturing relationships right so i think our, our instinct is that it has something to do with that tension as well um but i think ultimately you know you can speak to what that is like better than we can so what do you think emily oh i hope i can speak better to that um yeah, so I I think initially from the episode I I respected both of you. Like it is a brave thing to be men in your twenties talking about femininity, <laughs> um, especially yeah. I think in today's world where you know conversations about supposed things that you supposedly know nothing about right. or it's like really interesting. But yeah, we um, just figured we'd go for it. You know? Yeah, no, but it's, I think that's really respectable. I think it's still awesome to get like a male perspective of like how you interact with women um and i think it's hard to talk about and women's issues for lack of a better word because it is so complicated and complex um either within the church sometimes and outside of the church but i really liked the um that idea of the warrior poet and i think i had read that article before you had talked Mm -hmm. about it initially because i I, sounded familiar when you were talking about it and so i've done a lot of thinking about this (laughs) And mm-hmm. I think the best that I could come up with of like kind of a female counterpart is what I like to call the self-sufficient damsel. Self-sufficient damsel. There you have it. Okay. Maybe. Like, <laughs> at least that's how I, that's how I think about it. If someone else has something better, yeah. we can, we can talk, we can find some other real life women to talk about it. Um, yeah. But this idea that I think especially today, um, there is this idea of, equality um with women and Mm -hmm. women working at just Mm -hmm. as much or even uh just as much as men in the same jobs as men and so there is this idea of like us needing to be self-sufficient and us needing to be independent and like do all of these things to live especially at an age where like i've you're both millennials um where millennials especially are getting married much later right um, yeah. and so it's like, if I'm now 28, almost 29, I'm still single, I'm living alone and I have to like provide for myself in that yeah. way and be independent. Um, I have to be self-sufficient. I have to pay my rent. Right. I have to provide for my cats and myself. Yeah. Um, and so be self-sustaining in the sense that I need a job and I need to be able to fund my artistic things and go to school right. and all like whatever. But then also at the same time. I'm eventually, if you kind of submit to the idea of the church, um, which I do, I'm like pretty traditional in that sense. Mm-hmm. Like I'm supposed to be spiritually led by a man once I'm mm-hmm. in a relationship with a man. And so there is this kind of push pull and this tension between like being that independent, but also like, and being that independent for so long and then having to potentially then enter a relationship and figure out how to, first of all, just function with someone else right? and be in relationship with someone else. But then by church standards, sometimes um, like kind of let go of some of that control. Yeah. At the same yeah. Time. I think I've seen that tension. I think I see it in single women, but I think I've also observed a similar tension in, in even married women. Mm-hmm. I think this sense of like, there is so much in the 21st century, a um, so much of a in, in some ways, very positive pressure to or positive influence to go out in the workplace, mm-hmm. right, and go do 
um, great things. Women have so many more opportunities, I think, in the world than they've had in previous generations. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, women have an incredible gift of, of culture, uh, cultivating and nurturing a, a loving home, mm-hmm. right? So I see that with married women. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I see, I think, in talking to to friends like you as well of, of not being in that vocation yet, there's still a, there's still a tension there. Right. Um, and you talked in particular about like, about leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, what does that look like as, as a single woman versus, um, somebody in her vocation? So I think, I think there's, it seems like there's multiple things you kind of right. have to wrestle with there. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Okay, so what? So what are maybe some as a, a you know single woman in her twenties um, trying to live out femininity virtuously? What are some maybe lies that you face from maybe maybe from people in the church or people kind of from a more secular environment? Yeah, I, <laughs> there are so many things. Um, I think that there's for years, in some ways, from like the secular world, there is just this false sense of what femininity is or like what maybe feminism is mm-hmm. um and i in some ways i think back to um fulton sheen right who yep. and one of i think probably my favorite writing of his is um world's first love um about a book all about mary so he like kind of breaks down mm-hmm. um a lot about mary and mary and theology in general and then how kind of mary functions in the world um, so it's like two sections. It's like, uh, the woman, the world loves, and then the world, the woman loves. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the second section, there's a chapter about uh, like equity and equality. Mm-hmm. So I just reread this chapter. It's, um, so amazing. Uh, but he talks a lot about how this, the seeking out of society to, and, and maybe even women for equality with men has really um, been a detriment to them in some sense, because no. it's been thought about in this way of what he calls mathematical equality for like a one okay. for one instead mm-hmm. of proportional equality um, or maybe even equity. Right. Um, so like women, because women are different from men and function different from men need have different needs and we need them on an equal playing field, but they're different things. And so I think that in some ways, like one of the challenges of today is there's all like equality, 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 but not necessarily meeting the needs of both sides. Right. So, so equality is, and by the way he's talking about it is more of like a the same, like men and women are going to have exactly the same things, perform the exact same roles. And equity, I guess, has more room for a sense of complementarity, maybe performing different but equal roles. Yes, yeah. And so and I I think for me, again, someone who – it's always like that caveat of like I have – like I do kind of submit to the fairly traditional views of like men and women are complements of each other. We have different roles, whether that be potentially in the church or just like in our like base realities – um, I think one of the challenges is that we live in a world right now that is trying to eliminate that complementarity. Right. Like all of the things that we should be celebrating about women as being different from men are like are the things that are being combated against a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And I think that's really challenging in general. But then when you also have a society who is eliminating that and the equality that they're calling for is something that it's like 
could there are definitely equalities that are good like yes do yeah. i want to be paid the same as a man for the same work of course like those things are amazing yeah. and the like working for those things is amazing but then to eliminate the things that women need as women in mm-hmm. the name of equality is it it's hurtful in yeah some ways. it seems like the tension it's it's almost like this false tension kind of like the warrior poet can be mm-hmm. put in tension against each other right um in an unnecessary way it's like there's this tension between the home and the workplace right that that women seem to face and it you it's like you can only do one or the other and i think right. even in more traditional circles sometimes maybe it's focus on just the home at the expense of doing anything outside the home. Right. You know, but even with even within the home, I think they're like, it goes by it, talking about the warrior poet with like this self-sufficient damsel or like even within one world or the other, there is a balance. Like even I think about amazing homilies that I've heard about the gospel with um, Mary and Martha, um, where it's not necessarily, it, <laughs> In some ways, it can be presented as, like, one part is better than the other. But I remember, and I don't remember where I was. I wasn't at my, like, normal parish. I think I was out of town, and it was, like, a church that I ended up in on a Sunday um, because it was Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so, and I heard this beautiful homily about it's not about which one is better or, like, one is better than the other, but it is a balance. Sometimes sometimes you are going to be able to be merry and sit at the feet of Christ and spend time with him and just marvel in his word and marvel in this like relationship with him but sometimes you are called to be martha and be working and serving in a more serving not necessarily in like a prayerful way but serving in like a a working way and so there is this like you do have to find that balance between each other but again we yeah we do live in more of a society that tells you it has to be one or the other but really it is like that balance that you need yeah it all comes down to balance doesn't it Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like, too, <laughs> we're doing this strange thing where I have to swivel the mic every time I want to talk and yeah. every time we talk. We so. uh, haven't invested in a third mic. Yet, <laughs> no, that's true. Yes. Now, uh, and now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, now it's back. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, in our society, too, with the Martha and Mary thing, it seems like um, that the Martha, you know, the working and going out is just more um, emphasized or regarded as uh, of higher quality than the sitting at the feet, you know. So it mm-hmm. seems like those that go out and work are, you know, deemed as, you know, uh, and that are doing that active kind of lifestyle are, are, are deemed better than those that are, are you know, nurturing the yeah. home and staying in and so forth. So. Um, yeah, there's that like, there's that false dichotomy of, um, oh, that person's better than me or, you know, um, greater than me because they have more of the working role, which I think kind of sends this false dichotomy of, okay, women are less than men because men are out more, quote unquote. Well, and I'm, I'm really convinced that we, we can't reduce women to one or the other. And I think that that's where a lot of the problem comes from like whether it's solely the home or solely the career if we say that you know that's what women are like that is where they're going to shine mm-hmm. i think we're restricting them right if if we're saying you know they're only made to do the same things that men do in the workplace right how much is that really advancing women right but at the same time if we say a woman should never leave the home um because their sole job, their sole responsibility in life is to take care of children, right? That's not really advancing women either. Um, so I really think you have to live in that both and if if you're going to allow um, femininity to really shine, like like I, I know it can. 
Right. Uh, but I want to kind of get at, I guess we, we talked a little bit about the tension there, but what is, you know, the self-sufficient damsel? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like, I like the term. I'm not really sure entirely what a damsel is. I think I've said that before, but, but in your words, Emily, how would you describe the, this, this model, this, this, this virtuous balance of the self-sufficient damsel? The virtuous balance. Well, first of all, I, damsel, I think in the simplest and its simplest definition is just like a young lady, uh, like okay. a maiden. But I think also, of like princess peach in the right. castle. So like, like, but there is like the trope it's, I think it actually really does come from the Renaissance or like a lot of Renaissance paintings are just like medieval, like the medieval idea of the, of the young woman who needs to be rescued from the monster. Like yeah, right. like the princess in yeah. the tower who needs to be rescued from the dragon. Um, this kind of like heroic man coming to save her, which is, I, I think I settled on damsel because there is this idea of like within the church that you should be spiritually led by a man or like the Mm. fact that, um, uh, like a man should initiate the relationship or like that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, but also self-sufficient, but also self-sufficient. Well, because it, I, it was interesting to hear Nick say something about, um, to hear you say something about like this idea of almost like competition and like being better than someone because of, of the workplace or all, all right. of these things, which I think is definitely like part of a part of the com- conversation with women. But also I, my thought with that was there is, I think that idea, but there's also like, we have to be self-sufficient. We have to be in the workplace out of necessity at mm-hmm. this point. Like, that the self-sufficient side of the self-sufficient damsel is not because like, Oh, I, I necessarily want to go out and do these things, but I do like have to live. Yeah. And I know like Dylan and I have had this conversation right. with our friend Stephanie at school too. It's like, yeah, I have to, I need to pay my mortgage. I need right. to pay my rent. Yeah. I need to like pay for all of these yeah. things. So I have to be self-sufficient. Yeah. Um, the days of the, the 18 year old girl going off and, <laughs> and getting married young and devoting her life to this big family is our, practically speaking, seem to be gone, you know? Yeah, so uh, this might take us down a little bit of a tangent, but I do have... No uh, tangents, uh, you math math nerd. (laughs) There we go. I do have kind of like a a question that I personally have been wondering uh, just in the complementarity between men and women too, you know, is Mm -hmm. um, I totally understand like having to be self-sufficient as a woman, and I thought that's... You have to do that. I totally understand that. I think it's I think it's a great great way to put it. Self sufficient damsel. I think like the damsel piece of that, like the maiden who wants to be saved, is more attractive to men. Like men men are attracted to the idea of like being that 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 person mm-hmm. who steps in and you know quote unquote saves the woman for lack of a better word, um, serves the woman. Um, so I think the tension a lot of times with men and women, especially when, when men are pursuing women, is like. Okay, I see this woman that's like very self-sufficient. Like, what's my way? Like, how do I step in and like, what's my role for this woman that's already self-sufficient? You know, it's yeah. it's it's like how does one is yeah. how does the man like enter into that relationship with that woman? And and two, that maybe more relevant to our discussion, is the woman like required to present themselves in a certain way that makes it seem like they're open to being served by the man? Um, so like. Yeah, I guess like like how do you how do you fight the tension of like being end- independent but also being open to being served? Yeah, that is a good question. I don't know if I have an answer to that cuz obviously like I'm sitting here single too. Right. So it's like I don't yeah. know. Um no, but I I I think there is that tension there because I, there's this idea and I don't know if men talk about it, 
because I'm not always, you know, in conversation with men all the time, but I know that I've like had conversations about this with like my female friends about being intimidating to men. Mm-hmm. It's like, I am now here in my late twenties. Right. I have two master's degrees and I've like, yeah. I've like solo traveled around the world. Like I've done all of these things. And like, at what point does it become like, I am so self-sufficient and independent that I become intimidating Mm-hmm. To the point where, not that no one wants to love me, that's right. not what I mean, but yeah. like it becomes intimidating to like want to not, I don't know, not want to be in a relationship with me, but in a way want to be in a relationship with me because if you are someone who is like, well, how is she going to, or how is this going to work? Right. Um, yeah. Like how do I fall into that or how, or. Yeah, there. Right. I think there is that tension there. Yeah, Sorry, no, my it's, words it's have like, gone. <laughs> yeah, because I think there's this very masculine desire to to serve, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I know I've I've had this experience with women before, where it's like, oh, let me hold the door for you. No, I can hold it myself. You know, th- those right. types of things, yeah. right? And so, but I think that also comes from a false sense of like secular feminism. Sure. Yeah. I yeah, mean, like I back so. to that equality. Yeah, but like, I think even in in secular or not i think Mm -hmm. that it's i think i've seen women with with that attitude maybe not about holding the door right Mm -hmm. that's a very like i think cultural thing that people either do or they don't but i think the same thing of like let me help you no i don't Mm -hmm. need you to help me well Um, and that can be intimidating yeah i think i've this reminds me of like so one of the best pieces of advice that i got from my spiritual director and probably i think it was like my first year spiritual direction i was like going through a whole lot of stuff and I was, like, really trying to figure out I, – I had had a lot of trust broken from a lot of people, and including a lot of men, and it had, like, bleeded into my spiritual mm. life and, like, my relationship with Christ. And I remember my spiritual director told me, he's like, Emily, you need to let Jesus romance you. Mm. And I, like, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what does that mean? But – and – I don't know if I, I still don't know if I can like 100% describe what that means, but I like went through this experience of like intense, um, like I went to, sp- or not, um, I went to adoration every day. I was like spending time in a church every day with the blessed sacrament and like letting Jesus like lead me. And I think I, I, I really understood what he meant. Like the first time I went to Italy and I was able to just like, wander around this country and see beautiful things and meet Mm -hmm. amazing people like all really led by christ and it was that and it did help me understand like i yeah i'm self-sufficient and i'm independent Mm -hmm. but i do still need saving like i need jesus as my savior and i need um i need to be in relationship with someone and especially with christ and that like process i think also helped me give up some control Um, and help me understand like, no, I do need to trust other people and I need like it, I can be led by other people. It just like, even if it's hard, like it's possible, but like letting that happen with Christ first has like opened a door to like understanding like how that works with There's so much there. Yeah. There's so much there. I mean, I just think of like, you know, the whole point of this all, the whole point of the complementarity of men and women is to draw us into relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's it's foundational in, in our the wounds in our relationship with God affect the way we relate to the opposite sex and, and others of the same sex as well and, and vice versa, right? The wounds we have from broken human relationships affect our relationship with God and we need to be healed, as I look at the book, be healed um, uh, on our desk here, but be healed by God first. Right. And so I think there's 
um, yeah, there's just uh, what you said there was just I think incredibly profound. And Nick is pulling the mic, so he wants here to I come here. No, uh, I just want to add my snippet that um, you know back to the you know being self sufficient thing. I, I think as a man, like it's you know wanting to serve you know, tangibly, like in terms of a job or whatever, it's, uh, that's great and all, but at the end of the day, it's not really about that. It's about, you know, being the spiritual servant of the woman, right. you know, so at the, yeah. the depth, uh, at the depth of it, the, you know, the, uh, what it's really about is a spiritual open, a spiritual damselness on the part of the woman and then a kind of a spiritual, yeah. you know, leadership and servant, right. servanthood on the part of the man. So. Yeah. Well, and I think a distinction I always want to make with that when we talk about spiritual leadership too, I think, one of the profound realizations I've had in, in in recent years is what exactly spiritual leadership is. Um, in the Christian sense, like Christ is our model, and he was a servant leader. Like he was washing the feet of the apostles. He was kneeling down on the ground, um, you know, forgiving the, the woman caught in adultery. Like he was fully servant. The way he led was actually by placing himself lower. Than, than those that he was loving and serving. And I think that both in the church and in the world, we don't think of leadership like that. We think of leadership as a hierarchy. And I think that's true even with people in the church. And I think that's why there is this, in some ways, just revolt against this kind of lack of equity, you know, in the workplace or in the world, right? Because often men, but people in leadership kind of lord their leadership over others. And that is not Christ's model for leadership. But the language you're using there, Nick, is is all about, you know, servant leadership, not not the warding over type of leadership. Yeah, it seems like uh, just on the other end, I've been talking a little bit about, like, what's attractive to the man for, you know, um, and how a woman should present herself. Yeah. It's the same thing, I think, on on the other side. You know, men should, you know, seek to, move lower than the woman to serve right. her in that way. And I think maybe that's attractive to women. I, I can't speak for women, but maybe our real live woman can. But that's why we have Emily. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that there is something attractive about like a man who's willing to serve, because I think going back to the, like the warrior poet, like we see whether it's not, it's like societal or even in sometimes history, like this kind of like macho man mentality, the warrior, but then to have uh, the warrior become vulnerable and step outside of himself to serve woman, I think is something that is really beautiful and attractive. Um, because I think there, I think in some ways there's this idea that um, women do serve um, that's in mm -hmm. some ways the role of woman in the church is to serve, not necessarily like serve the church as the body of Christ. Like yeah. woman literally lays down, like gives her body to help like nourish the church and like um, continue to uh, provide for the church. Right. Well, I, one of my favorite things that I've like, I've given a couple women's talks before um, when I was in grad school and one of my favorite things that, like to talk about um, with college students or like any of my friends was like how woman's body is literally a church. Like in create, if woman is the crown of creation, a woman is also like our bodies are the ones that parallel like an actual church the most because we hold life in it mm -hmm. and we provide other lives for the church and the body of Christ and we nourish it and we right. raise 
people yeah. who then go into the church, but like physically our body like holds human life as a church does. Um, yeah, that's, so, that's incredible. So, like, that's the mis- part of the mystery. Yeah, and of so women, it's like right? if we're like kind of in this service role, either very like literally like that or serving in any way um, to then see a man who would, might have a different function to then serve mm-hmm. us is, yeah, I think absolutely yeah. attractive. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, like my favorite, one of my favorite facts that I think illustrates this point is is like the whole idea of like a marriage proposal. So, you know, in, in Catholic tradition, you, you genuflect on one knee before the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle, right? So the tabernacle contains the Eucharist, the presence of Christ. Well, when you propose to a woman to marriage, you, in a sense, genuflect. It's on your other knee because your right knee is reserved for the Lord. But the left knee, you honor the reverence because you know that the woman's womb is a place to cultivate life, is a way, place where life is born or where life is conceived, right? right? And that's actually why we do that. Like, that's the the tradition behind it. Um, and so I, I just think that's something so beautiful and I think for, for men to think of. Like, you're you're doing that. You're getting down on your knee, right? You're, you're lowering yourself and you're reverencing the gift of a woman standing before you. Right. And, and then how- you're, you're inviting them, right? You know, you're proposing yeah um just such a beautiful thing well and i think i think that that's beautiful to think about i've never i don't think i've ever heard that or ever like thought about that in that way um but i think it goes back to your point really well about christ serving by like and in, in some in some sense like being lower and like serving mm-hmm. others washing the feet of people um et cetera, et cetera. but then at the same time elevating woman yeah um either in Mary's personhood or, you know, like the first or forgiving Mary Magdalene and Mary Magdalene being one of the first uh, apostles. Um, The first missionary is the Samaritan woman who goes back and, 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 um, tells the good news to the entire town. And then Christ manifesting himself to Mary Magdalene first after Mm -hmm. the, or after the resurrection, like there's all of these, great examples in scripture about how elevated woman is yeah which is not something i think a lot of people realize right i wanted to say i guess i'll give a little plug for the chosen have y'all have y'all i guess i know dylan has have you seen okay first yeah i'm need to watch the second okay i haven't watched the last episode of the first season yet so i'm on sip episode eight there Mm -hmm. um what's the star wars episode eight what's that called again uh uh uh, anyway i was gonna make a joke but all right so um Yeah, um, so in the fir- very first episode, I think it's still my favorite, but in the very first episode, it's essentially the story of uh, Mary Magdalene. And um, by the way, Mary Magdalene, I think, is portrayed extremely beautifully in, in The Chosen. Um, yeah. Yeah, and this first episode, uh, I guess I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but yeah, it's just really like a, the beautiful dynamic between Mary Magdalene and, and Jesus is just very, very yeah. prominent, you know, about how, um, and I, I know I've said this on the last podcast, but it, it seems like, you know, and it was portrayed very well in that episode that uh, women seem to have like a unique capacity to um, to I don't know be romanced by Jesus, um, like your your spiritual right. director said, Emily. You know, and I I just really saw that in the chosen episode. Yeah, yeah. I think of too like with elevating women and Emily. I think you have a quote I want you to get to in a minute, but um, I think of like a wedding ceremony, like a traditional wedding ceremony. Like it's all about the bride. You know, like the bride is the center. Obviously, ultimately, the Lord is the center. But like, 
just the attention how captivating like the bride is like that's who you wait to see mm-hmm. you know and um the, the grooms you know he's whatever right but like it's it the is, bride it's it about is the cool bride. though if one of oh, i had a friend in college and he he's a protestant um pastor and he talked about his favorite moment of weddings is obviously like it's always a beautiful moment when the bride walks down the aisle but his favorite moment is when the bride like comes through the threshold to look at the say. face of the groom yeah. yep. and to see what yeah. the groom does. And, and I've started doing that sometimes. It is, it yeah. is absolutely a beautiful moment to see, to like watch a, a future husband behold the beauty of his bride coming down the right. aisle. Right. Which yeah. is amazing because that's also what happens every time we go to mass because you're literally walking down the it's aisle the wedding to feast of the, the Lord. Yeah. Um, the bridegroom. Yeah. But I, I, we were talking about this idea of like love and, um, like relationship and serving one another. And, I, and also I think it goes really well with kind of some of the talk that we've already had about like equality versus equity. And in this like same chapter from, from Fulton Sheen, there's this quote and it was, it's one of those things I read it. I've read it before, but I read it again, like an hour, hour and a half ago and I was mm-hmm. floored. Um, All right, and it just it. says, um, all love demands inequality or superiority. The lover is always on his knees. The beloved must always be on a pedestal. Whether it be man or woman, the one must always consider himself or herself as undeserving of the other. Even God humbled himself in his love to win man, saying he came not to be served, but to serve. And man, in his turn, approaches the loving Savior in communion with the words, Lord, I am not worthy. I can't even respond to that. That's I'm for. I know. Wow. No, <laughs> I was. I will say. I was telling um, Nick and Dylan that I read this chapter right before I got here because um, I I had read it before and I kind of remembered what was in it, but I like went back and found it just because I was like, I really need to remember what this says because it's something that has like stuck with me for years, and like this entire chapter is like. In some ways, everything that we're talking about, it talks about secularism and granted Fulton Sheen is writing this in a time like post-World War II, Mm -hmm. like rise of communism. So there is a lot of that in there. This is the book's called The World's First Love. World's First Love. It's all about and it has like a subtitle about Mary that I can never Mm -hmm. remember. Um, But like if you read nothing else from this book, like this chapter is, I think, phenomenal. The chapter is called? uh, I think it's called Equity and Equality Equality or Equality and Equity. Awesome. Yeah. Equity and equality. It's chapter 15. Um, but I think, I think it's just still so the content of it is still so pertinent for today and like really mm-hmm. talks about, um, and, and also talks about Mary's relationship with this as well. And like in the age of Christianity before the Protestant reformation, you had all, again, all of these warrior poets, like it talks about like the Marco Polos, um, all of the, uh, the monks and like mm-hmm. every man in Christian society was beholding a woman mm-hmm. just as much as they were Christ, like in, 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 um, respecting Mary. And it yeah. wasn't until after kind of like the fall of Christian, like society in the world that we get this idea of like women aren't being treated equal or whatever. Right. It's, it's really interesting to read. And I think, yeah, like I said, really pertinent still. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to meditate on there. Yeah, um, I love that quote that you you shared. Just be, um, one one of the things I think that stood out to me is like you know again going back to this the self sufficient damsel the damsel piece there is like actually a, a positive thing in light of this quote you know like 
the person, you know, the servanthood of the man actually lifts the woman up on a pedestal. Like if she's able to receive that love from the, you know, from mm-hmm. the man. So, you know, I just love how it's portrayed in a positive light. That's a, that's a positive, beautiful thing to be served by the man, you right. know, um, to accept that as a woman. Well, and that's, that's an image of, of like the life of grace too, because, you know, we, in response to the Lord, we like the whole Christian experience is about realizing I can't do it on my own, right? I have to be dependent on the grace of God to be what I'm supposed to be. Um, and so I think the woman in that, that role has a very unique way of experiencing that, I think in a really tangible sacramental even way. Right. Um, I think while we're talking about F- Fulton Sheen too, um, there's a quote that he has. It might be in the same chapter. I know it's in the world's first love because we've talked about it. But it's basically along the lines of like the men will rise to the quality of the woman. That's I'm paraphrasing loosely, but like um, you know, like if the women are like great and virtuous, like the men are going to rise up to meet that. I think it's a quote that you used in the last episode of the podcast. Okay, did we use yeah. that in the last yeah, episode? Yeah, Nick read it. Did in the I last tell episode. you I don't agree with it in the last episode? <laughs> okay, well I I don't think it's true. That's I'm willing to be proven wrong. I want your take on it, Emily. But like, I just don't think it's true because I look around and I see, you know, I think we live in the world a world with a lot of very virtuous women and a lot of really lame men, um, and I don't see the men stepping up. So that's just, that's my hot take on it, but I don't know. I don't know what your perspective is. I think maybe in a different generation that was true. I think, well, because it is a full, it is, it's in the same chapter Mm -hmm. um, of this book. um, And he's speaking in the, I think he wrote this in the, either the fifties or the sixties. I think the fifties. So, I mean, it's like a whole generation back when I think maybe this was Before the sexual revolution. Right. Before the latest feminist movement. Yeah. And so like, I think this is, the moment where that intimidation factor of like being self-sufficient becomes detrimental to maybe that quote. Like I don't, I think women become intimidating to the point where like men don't know what to do with themselves. Um, and, (laughs) and don't know how to handle it, which is why they don't rise to the occasion. But I also think, I think unfortunately in some ways in, I, I don't use this word lightly, but it's the best word I can think of now. And like the, almost the prejudicial nature of, of how the world deals with Catholicism. Um, and maybe a lot of the scandal of the church in the last, you know, like in the last, um, you know, generation or so, like, I think that there it's, it's harder and harder to be a practicing Catholic, but I think it's also, for whatever reason, um, less attractive to men to be spiritual. I think not spiritual. I think, I guess this is a better way to put it. I think in the last maybe generation or so, there's been this rise of spiritualism equates emotionalism. And like, there's like such an emotional tie to like having a spiritual life and like tapping into Mm -hmm. your emotions and all of those things. And in a way that is not as attractive to men. Yeah. Um, and this could just be me spitballing. Like, obviously I don't, I I don't have the men's experience. Um, This is where we're the experts. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan and Nick, give me your opinion. Uh, No, Um, I think you're And so I think, I think, um, and maybe this is also me, like not necessarily taking a side, but I, this is, we don't have to go into this vein of conversation if we don't have to, if we don't want to. But I think in like the post Vatican II church, there has been like a rise in the, um, and maybe combating with like evangelical Protestant 
Protestantism and like tapping into this emotional side of spiritualism mm-hmm. yeah. that it becomes the detriment of, of to men of like, not like, well, that's not attractive to me because I just have to be emotional and I can't, it's harder for right. me to serve. And then also on the flip side of that, in the name of potentially equality, there are more and more roles for women in the church, mm-hmm. but, and there may be taking, not taking, um, that's a choice word. That's not what I mean, but, um, yeah. Serving in roles in which men used to solely serve. Yeah. And so like, you know, sometimes young boys aren't going to want to alter serve if they are like three other girls there. Like, right. Ugh, girls are gross. I don't want to serve with the girl. Um, I don't, it, but yeah. if, if, yeah. being a, an altar server is was used to be one of the main ways to mm-hmm. discern religious life or discern the priesthood but now it's more equal in that both girls and boys can serve mm-hmm. it i don't know you know like there it, yeah it creates that tension again yeah no um, i i know what you're saying i think sorry I that think, was like a lot all at once <laughs> yeah no i think there's something to it i think in some sense it is a different conversation but mm-hmm. um I think it's it's the idea of I think we're losing the idea of the difference between men and women and having roles that actually highlight those differences, not in order to, you know, exaggerate unnecessarily differences, but like in order to let us be who we're meant to be, I think. Um, But I just think of I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I think, you know, I learned the faith through primarily women um, and it. I think there can be a tendency to, for it to be sentimentalized. And um, I think that that is harmful for a lot of, I think the way the faith is presented to a lot of, especially adolescent men is not, um, is not in a compelling way. I think, I think, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like to me in the, in the church, especially there, well, no, I'm going to say in society as a whole too, there's this thing of, women aren't doing certain things, you know, in society. Altar serving was a great example 60 years mm-hmm. ago, whatever, you know. The priesthood is another example. Of, that's something that's not ever going to change, but mm-hmm. um, that's another example, you know. And um, I think there's just this misconception throughout society that what the church is saying is that women can't do it. Like, they, they're they not able to do it, mm-hmm. you know, just even if they even if they were allowed to do the role, they couldn't do it. That's exactly what we're not saying, you know, but there's this thing about, oh, because we— what do you mean? Because we can't do those roles? We, we're, we're not allowed to do those roles? Like, we can't do it? Um, and now there's this turning of, let me show you that I can do it as a woman or whatever, you know? So it's yeah. it's not that, you know, it's not that they couldn't do it if they were able. It's that they shouldn't do it because of who they are as a woman, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's not a question of who's better or worse. It's a question of what your role is as a woman or a man. You know, so I think there's a like all like all arguments that are are difficult. It's it's a distinction has to be made about what we're talking about, what we're saying as a church. You know, and, and the complementarity between men and women. Well, I think I think back to like uh, in the like the church is oppressive against women, and like why can't women be priests, which is a whole other con- like a big conversation. But it, that just makes me think about that kind of conversation. Where it's like, well, the, I, I've like heard arguments. It's like, well, uh, yeah, women weren't called to be apostles or priests when in Christ's age because of the way society was at that point. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, like everything Christ did was countercultural. Like right. he was combating everything. He was not afraid to rock the No. And, and to the point where like we go back to the, the – in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, all of these women that he lifted up 
in these higher roles and all of the ways that women served him best more like more not more perfectly but like better than men like it was with the exception of saint john the evangelist like it was women who were standing at the foot of the cross keeping vigil with him all of the other men abandoned him mm-hmm. except but all of the women stayed with him he met women on the way of the cross like meeting the women, the weeping women uh, meeting veronica and then again like mary magdalene and you have the samaritan woman who's the first missionary and you have um Mary Magdalene again, who is like the first gives the first proclamation of the gospel of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And so there are all of these ways that women are lifted up. And he had literally the perfect woman who was without sin, who as his mother. So if he wanted women to be priests, if that was a role that was meant for women, then it would have happened because he had the most perfect woman to be able to do that. But that is not a role that Mm -hmm. he gave to us. And I know that I think that that's still like even with that, that's still a hard reality um, for a lot of people. But it, I think just because we're not potentially called to serve as priests or maybe if you are of that particular liturgical persuasion, like at mass or like in the liturgy or whatever, it doesn't mean that we aren't able to serve. No. We're just able to serve in a different way. Right. But I think one thing that I've found and I've had a lot of conversations with people with uh, over the years is the lack of resources for women to be able to serve and maybe like there, I think there were for generations, there were like, you had the altar society and you had like women sacristans mm-hmm. who were still able to serve the church in that way. And mm-hmm. a lot of those things have disappeared. Um, but like in seeking equality in the church, like some of those things have been done away with. Right. And, and so then well, so then where do girls or where do women go to help serve the church? And then like you have all, like, that's, I think part of it. Right. Um, yeah. But I, yeah. So I think that there, there is that complementarity. Like we are called to serve, yeah. but it's just, yeah, again, in different it's, ways. It's different. Yeah. And I think there are, there are roles for men and women in the church and, there you look at history you look at the saints you see women rising up you see men rising up um but i think it's it's interesting because i think you know we talk about like the role of women in the liturgy or you know whatever it is in the church but you know i think of like you know a time where my students asked me you know why, why can't women be priests which is like a natural question for them to be asking um and i remember i told them look i'm going to answer your question and i'm going to take a couple minutes because we only have a few minutes right now to answer the question, but I'm going to also spend later about two weeks mm-hmm. taking, like it's going to take two weeks to really answer that question. And I think that's really where, where we're at. Um, because I think we've, we've lost this idea of complementarity mm-hmm. of, of men and women. And I think that we have to start there. And I really, I just want to have more conversations about that. I just want to, I don't care what the end result is so much. Mm-hmm. I just want to have more conversations about what do women have to offer the world? What are men, do men have to offer the world? And how are those things different? How are they similar? Mm-hmm. But I think until we start talking about that, we're not going to understand some of these um, more difficult questions, right. I think. I think it, that just reminds me, and I like I know that Dylan, I've talked to you about it a little bit, and it's something, it, it was another one of, I there's like so many pivotal moments that have like changed my life of like books or things that people have told me or like talks that I've heard, but like one of the things, and I think this is maybe what in some ways launched or like really cemented my 
um, wanting to understand like the role of women and wanting to understand like what makes being a woman so beautiful in the church um, was a talk that I actually heard at an RCIA meeting when I was sponsoring someone to come into the church. And it was a talk about Mary. Um, and our deacon that was giving the presentation was talking about this idea of complementarity and really like the reality that there are characteristics of Mary as a woman and as a human that she experienced, um, parts of humanity that she experienced that Christ as a man could not. Right. Um, and I have them somewhere like one of which was that she is the only perfect human who is all created like created being like so christ was perfect but he's god and man mary is only a created being yeah and then in that being a created being um she needed she needed to be saved still right yeah um so she is that great example of like needing the savior even as a perfect human made like born without sin right and then she had to watch her son yeah, and then well. yeah. So yeah. the last one, the last one that he mentioned, which he heard from a talk from um, at a Benedictine monastery, um, was that she experienced the loss of a child as a mother only could. So mm-hmm. like yeah, I mean Christ experienced an, an enormous amount of suffering that we could never, we can never understand mm-hmm. why he did that. But even her suffering was in a different way that only a mother and only a woman could experience. But yeah. that had to be part of like humanity like in, right. in her person as a woman yeah. and so yeah and i think there's there's a lot of reasons why the church has, has elevated mary to the status mm-hmm. that they do but i think one of them is is for just that reason right yeah. there's i think mary is a feminine example of what we should strive for right um and there's something i don't want to say there's anything lacking in christ right but the fact that we have a feminine model as well i mm-hmm. think is really helpful for for women especially, um, but I think for men as well, um, in the sense that kind of like you talked about, we we can't relate, you know, the the unique privilege of of femininity of relating to Christ, right, incarnate mm-hmm. as a man, the bridegroom in that way, right. um, and I think Mary provides a, a feminine, um, a needed feminine aspect to our faith, right, and how like like how smart of God to be like, hey, I know that this will need be needed in the world. So I'm going to provide this example. How smart of God. How smart of God. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just like think of like, like how wise, like, you know, because in in just thinking of the sense that like God is both temporal and atemporal, like he knows everything that's going to happen in the world. Like knowing that there would be in some ways, this like attack on women for generations in some sense that he would like provide this example for women to yeah. look to and really, I mean, man and woman to look to of yeah. like how beautiful it is to be a woman in the church right? or a woman at all. Yeah. Um, Thanks be to God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to wrap up here, but I want to uh, close with just asking you, um, I think, and I think this will kind of summarize everything, but Emily, what, what do women have to offer the world mm-hmm. in your opinion? It sounds, it sounds ridiculous in some ways. And it's like so simple, but it's like, what do we have to offer the world? We're, like, well, we're part of creation. Like, we have our our own sensibilities and our own ways of service and our own ways of loving in, in the most unique womanly way possible for the world. And I think, um, I, I guess I'm thinking about in some ways, like, the lives of the saints. Like, 
even in this, if we have like a base reality of being a woman that is all similar, like a similar experience of like maybe what we're called to or like the truths of what the church teaches, we all still live that out in a different way. Like you have Therese who spent her entire life knowing she wanted to be in a convent and was given permission by the Pope she like petitioned right. the Pope in person yeah. and ended up in the convent at 15 yeah. died at 24 and somehow had her writings published and, but is like spent her entire life in a convent cloistered mm-hmm. and is a doctor of the church. And that mm-hmm. is like one way of living out femininity and right. like living out her womanhood. But then you also have like Joan of Arc who yeah. led armies yeah. in the name of Christ and to the point where she was, uh, you know, burned at the stake. And so you, I think, I just think of the lives of the saints of like all of these different ways that like women live out their love and their servitude for the Lord or like their serving of the Lord mm-hmm. um, as an example of like what women can be. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just think that that is beautiful yeah, in I, itself. I like that, right. like we're yeah. all unique. We can all like love and do these things in very different ways, even if, like there is that base reality of like who we are as women. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Christ. something restricting. It's not yeah. one, one prototype. We're all princesses and daughters of Christ. We're all and princesses. We're that's all a, princesses in some ways. Yeah. Joan of Arc was a princess. She was an heir, an heir to Christ. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, yeah. Emily, for being with us. I hope that uh, I, I did women for, well. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I think you did. <laughs> Um, it's, yeah it's difficult but you also don't speak for all women no you speak, I speak for yourself i speak it's, for myself you know you've you live out your femininity in a way only emily can it's true. you know exactly and, um i wouldn't want anybody to conform to a you know one model and think there's only one way of living that out so thank you so much um Absolutely. it's been it's been incredible to keep this conversation going i think about femininity and hopefully you guys at home can uh have conversations yourself that's what we're here for right this is just starting the conversation but these are things that need to be continued to be discussed and talked about um with your own communities right nick right it's my final contribution thank you nick all right well this has been our our episode on femininity our second one um round three next week yeah maybe maybe (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) But, uh, yeah, email us, colloquiumshow at gmail.com. We, uh, we're grateful for you listening. Um, but this has been our conversation. Praised be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Amen.